0: So good morning. It's good to be back. Um, Lucas did a great job last week kind of wrapping up our Onward series and we get to launch into a brand new series today Um, and it's one on a book of the Bible that doesn't get talked about a whole lot um, because it's a little complicated Um, but I'm really excited about this series. We're going to jump in and talk about the book of Ecclesiastes um, in the Old Testament. Um, So we're going to be spending several weeks here going through this. Um, What was Tuesday of this week, this past week. Do y'all remember what Tuesday was? February 2nd, which was Groundhog Day. Y'all are good. Did you know there was a movie called Groundhog Day? Anyway, I slide here, right? Um, do y'all remember the movie? Um, it came out 30 years ago. Does that make you feel old now? 30 years ago, that movie came out. You remember what the movie was about? Um, it, Bill Murray plays the main character. Uh, his character in, in the movie replays February second Groundhog Day over and over again in Puxetani, Pennsylvania, uh, on Groundhog Day. And if some viewers that watch that and have really studied that film think that he did, he relived the same day for like three decades. Uh, that's how long he just kept going over and over. So if you watch the movie, like he knows everybody in in every scene he's met them and knows their story because he's relived it and gotten a chance to talk to everybody every day. And so what does he do to find meaning when it seems like everything he does is just kind of going through the same cycle over and over? He tries anything and everything. He tries to find pleasure and eat anything he can. He He seeks pleasure from women. He robs an armored car and buys everything that he ever wanted. But he still doesn't find meaning. In fact, it even turns to despair. He ends up trying to take his life, but he wakes up again and again, every time in the same place, same time. And then he turns to knowledge. He tries learning new skills. And so uh, he takes up piano. He learns how to sculpt ice. He learns French poetry he still doesn't find real meaning. He doesn't wake up on February 3rd until he finally reaches contentment in his current circumstances. And and that's like when the curse is lifted in the movie. Um, He looks into the eyes of the woman he's fallen in love with and he says, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. All I know is I'm happy right now. Uh, One pastor said this. He said, that's kind of the point of Ecclesiastes. We are stuck in a monotonous prison where nothing we do really changes anything and the only way to live a meaningful life in this meaningless existence is to find satisfaction and contentment in what God has given us. Matt Chandler says life is a whole lot more like Groundhog Day than we want to admit and that is why we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes uh right such an encouraging message right just we get off we're stuck in a rut day after day and and think about it you wake up right you eat breakfast you go to work you come home you do your laundry you do your dishes you cook supper all that stuff you you brush your teeth you go to bed and what do you do the next day you do it all over again year after year after year and you blink and it's like five years later it's 10 years later It's 15 years later it's 20 years later Right, yeah. <laughs> keep going, it doesn't stop, right? You just blink and it man, time flies and you're like, what have we done with the time we have been given? In Ecclesiastes, right, it, I love um, that it answers some of these tough questions for us. And it, it's a, it, it, you see the author wrestle with these tough questions as we go through the book. So where do we get this name, Chasing the Wind?, Well, in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12 through 14, uh, it says this, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence, right, uh, to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun and... Really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind, like chasing the wind. That's where we get this title from. It's like chasing after the wind. Can you ever catch it? No, it's there. You feel it. You see it. You know it exists, but you never can fully grasp it. And so we're going to be learning about what that means. Um, And so this is, I'm going to tell you up front, like this is a complex book. I don't know if you've ever read it. Um, I was telling some people we're going to go through this study, and they're like, man, that's a depressing book. And I'm like, it is, but it's not, right? It it is in some way, but in in the other way, when we really understand it, it gives us perspective. It helps us as we go through life. I love how the Bible Project videos, how they describe the wisdom books of the Bible. And they talk about the three books of the Bible that are known as the Bible's wisdom books. Proverbs, uh, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, And so they kind of reveal the the collected wisdom uh, of godly people and then they invite us to learn from it. Uh, They they all deal with this question, what does it mean to live a good life? And the Bible Project describes uh, the book of Proverbs uh, like uh, a bright young teacher uh, that's pursuing wisdom. They're optimistic If if you pursue wisdom, and good things are going to happen. So so focus on gaining wisdom and doing the right thing. And So you've got this bright young teacher that's optimistic. Job is this weathered old man who has seen a lot, who's gone through a lot, and is still standing strong. But then we get to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes has a different perspective on wisdom. It's the middle-aged critic. Right, It's the person who says, why even try? It, it, life can be meaningless sometimes. People don't always get what they deserve. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And it, It's this critical look at life. And so the critic, he talks about time moves forward and eventually we are all forgotten. He talks about no matter what, no matter how moral we are, we all are going to die. He talks about uh, life is random. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes fools are rewarded. So there's a point though. And, and the book has a point and it's simply this, is that when we recognize how little we can control what it does, it, we truly start appreciating what we do have. It gives us a perspective that we need to get through life. So let's go over the the background of the book and then we'll jump in. Here's how the book opens in verse 1. It says, um, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Um, Ecclesiastes, as it says here, was written by the teacher or even preacher. The the Hebrew word denotes that it's the leader of the congregation. uh, you may know there's a word that we use sometimes in the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia, uh, that is used to describe the church. Ecclesiastes is kind of the same root here. So it's the leader of the congregation. It says it's King David's son. So historically, uh, it, it, we think it is Solomon who wrote this book. Now, if you start studying this, you'll see some people think it's a, a, a later author. I don't. I think uh, some people think it's kind of a two-author, uh, two, uh, you know, you've got the teacher, and then you've got the uh, the critic there. I, we're not going to get into the details of that in this study, but I'm going to stick with it. The most logical person for this is Solomon, because uh, when you look at his life, it matches up with the experiences that he talks about in this book. And so uh, you, you read this, uh, you, you think about Solomon, if you know his backstory, he was wise, he was King David's son, uh, he was the ruler, he asked God for wisdom to rule the nation of Israel. And God was so pleased with his request, he not only gave him wisdom, he gave him wealth. And so King Solomon was the wealthiest person who has ever lived on earth. Um, I shared a while back, like in comparison to Elon Musk, it's, it's, I mean, Elon Musk has nothing compared to what King Solomon has. I mean, this is how rich this guy really was. But he also, as he went through life, he turned to the wrong things to find meaning in life. We know he had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? It's not the recipe for a happy life. <laughs> You've heard happy wife as equals a happy life. 700 wives? Think about that for a minute. Man, um, 700 mother-in-laws. Think about, <laughs> 700 mother- think about that for a minute. My goodness. Um, uh, he did learn some pretty tough lessons along the way. He became lustful. He became power-hungry. And so there's a lot that he learned in life. And so uh, chapter 1 is kind of an introduction. That's where we're going to be studying today. Uh, So let's look at what we can learn as we jump into this book. Here's the first point today. It's simply this. Ecclesiastes, it helps us ask hard questions about life. It's it's an invitation to us that it's okay uh, to, to, to sometimes ask hard questions. It's okay to have some doubts. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to struggle with the big questions of life. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why is there suffering? What is the meaning of life? Does God even care? Those are the type of questions that we get to in Ecclesiastes. Uh, the, The writer, he asks the tough questions that we have, and he isn't satisfied with the easy answers. It's not like the cliche answer, right? Um, his his words are an invitation to explore deeper. And so I love that about Ecclesiastes. It makes you think. It's that open invitation to, to look beyond what we just see and really think about the purpose, about the meaning of life. Philip Ryken said this. He said, Ecclesiastes is not the kind of book that we keep reading until we reach the end and get the answer like a mystery. Instead, it is a book in which we keep struggling with the problems of life, and as we struggle, we learn to trust God with the questions, even when we don't have all the answers. That, this is how the whole Christian life works. It's not just about what we get at the end, but also about the people we become along the way. Discipleship is a journey and not just a destination. And so here's kind of the opening two verses and we'll jump in. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So let's talk about that word "meaningless" because there's there's a lot behind it. Um, some translations uh, will say "vanity of vanities." Everything is vanity. Uh, Some translations will say everything is absolute futility, absolute futility. Uh, Some of these modern translations use the word meaningless. What is uh, the message um, actually says smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Um, In all actuality, the message kind of gets it the closest to the original word. Uh, The original word in in Hebrew is hevel, and it's this breath, it's this vapor, it's this smoke. You you can see it, but you can't really grasp it. Um, And and so everything is like a mist, a vapor, Uh, uh, just smoke wafting in the air. And and so it's important to understand that because it kind of sets the theme for the whole book. And so I don't really think meaningless is the best translation for that word because we read that and think, well, just it's meaningless, right? But when you realize that he's saying everything is just like smoke, it's there, but it's not there. You can see it, but you can't really see it. Um, I think about clouds, like when you're flying in an airplane, right? The clouds, you see them and they look so real and you go through them and but that you can't really hold them right it's just it's that mist it's that vapor that's what uh, the picture that's what life is like our life is like a vapor it's like a mist it's here one second then in it then it's gone and so that's kind of what he's talking about here Uh, Riken says this, he says, taken literally, the Hebrew word hevel refers to this breath or vapor like a puff of smoke rising from a campfire or a cloud of steam that comes from a hot breath on a frosty morning. Life is like that, elusive, ephemeral, enigmatic. It disappears as suddenly as it comes. We are here today, we are gone tomorrow. And so the Bible compares our mortal existence to a mere breath. Or to a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, as James tells us. Breathe in. Breathe out. Life will pass you by just that quickly. Not just today, but for all our days from beginning to end. And that's kind of the image that the critic here is giving us as we open up the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is it's going to go by quick. And and you've always heard it said, right? The older you get, the quicker it goes. And I I mean, I can attest to that. It's flying by. And so think about this. Um, You know, uh, this this is kind of what it's doing. It it helps us ask these hard questions about life. Because life is brief. Life is not always concrete and, and easy to understand and easy to see and easy to grasp hold of. And so that's the image we open up with and then it leads me to my second point ecclesiastes teaches us that life is complex it's messy we don't always understand why we don't always under one of the worst things i think we do sometimes as christians is give the easy answers oh it's going to all work out in the end don't worry god works everything for good well for those who are called according to his purpose right Uh, In the middle of your problem, you don't want to hear the cliche, easy answer. You don't want to... When someone is grieving, you don't want to be told, Oh, it's all right. It's going to all work out. Sometimes it's okay to grieve and hurt and weep and, and acknowledge that, man, sometimes life is messy. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's not even fair. And that's okay. God is okay with you acknowledging that right and so this is what verse 3 says as we jump in it says what do people get for all their hard work under the sun generations come and generations go but the earth never changes the sun rises and the sun sets then hurries around to rise again the wind blows south and then turns north around and around it goes blowing in circles rivers run into the sea but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No no matter how much we hear, we are not content. Again, I mean, you see this wrestling with life. He's like... Don't you understand? This is this is what existence is like. He gives us these examples. He he introduces this phrase in this passage. He says, everything under the sun. And this phrase it's used throughout the book. Um, And and I think it's one of the keys to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's talking about uh, everything under the sun, everything from our vantage point on earth. Under the sun, from what we see, life doesn't make sense sometimes. But luckily, thankfully, there's another vantage point much higher. There's a vantage point above the sun. There's a a heavenly vantage point where God is moving and working in ways we don't see, ways we don't understand, ways we don't comprehend. We see that in the book of Job as well. And so when we understand that, right we have a limited perspective on what's going on in our life. We have tunnel vision. All we see is what is right in front of us, what's going on. We have that view under the sun. But thankfully, God has a much different view of our life. Proverbs teaches us to follow wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us even when we do, sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes things don't go the way we plan or expect. Bad things do happen to good people. We get cancer. We have heart attacks. We have strokes. Our marriages fall apart. Whatever Our loved ones pass away. Generations come and go. You see these cycles. And it talks about the earth doesn't change. Now, when we're in Israel, I was just thinking about that. I mean, here in the States, you see something that's like 200 years old. And you're like, man, this is really old you go there and you're standing we were walking through Hezekiah's water tunnel that he built right like it's like 4000 years ago i mean or 30 what Thirty? it's a long time ago i can't remember it's a long time and you're walking through this tunnel he built and i'm thinking this this is crazy you're walking through ruins from thousands of years ago and think about how many generations have lived have come and who have gone in that meantime now, again, if you're not a deep thinker, if you just go through life, you're like, oh, you know, let's just enjoy the moment. But, again, we really need to gain some perspective about life if we want to live the life that God has called us to live. If, we, if it, our life is all about ourselves, and that's what we're going to see here in Ecclesiastes, we miss the point. We're going to come we're going to live a short time and we're going to be gone and we're going to be forgotten. And so in this passage, right, he uses nature as an example. The sun rises and sets each day. The wind blows all around the world and it just keeps going. It's a cycle. The the He talks about rivers flow, but the sea never fills up. And then the water from the sea goes back and rain and then it comes back in the rivers, flows back in the sea. It's a cycle. And it just keeps going and going and going. And, and, and so... Uh, He says in verse 8, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we never satisfy. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. So he talks about the sun, the wind, and the sea. And then he says we can't say enough. We can't see enough. We can't hear enough. Because what happens uh, we we can't really find the words to describe life. We we can't see enough. We'll never be able to experience it all. And if we're our life is all about what we can see and what we can do and what we can experience, then uh, we're going to be let down. We can't hear enough. There's not enough gossip. There's not enough. Uh, there, there, this is like it's. There's always going to be more that we're missing out on. This is the ultimate FOMO, the fear of missing out. Right. This is kind of, you know, I I, I was thinking, this kind of, I just, as I was reading this in my head, y'all do this sometimes, I like songs, you have like a song track playing, and I mean, when I was reading this, I was like Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the, that's kind of what I'm thinking here uh, as as I'm reading this. I mean, that's the point he's trying to get on. I can't get no satisfaction because everything is just going round and around and around. Uh, Daniel Aiken says in his commentary, he says, uh, our desires are never satisfied, we're not happy, we're, n- we're not content. He says, you're frustrated under the lack of freedom in your parents' house as a child. And you think to yourself, I can't wait till I get my license and go to college, because then I will be free and happy. Then you get to college and think, I can't wait to get out of this boring studying and start doing a job that I really love. Then you graduate, and you take the job and say to yourself, if only I could find someone to love and get married, then I would be happy. Then you find someone, you fall in love, get married, and think, if we could just have a family, then life would be complete. And so you have kids and think, if I could just get promoted so I could make more money to provide for my family, then I will be happy. The cycle never ends. You keep thinking, if I can get just there everything will be different. But when you get there, nothing is different. And that's really the point that he's trying to make. Life is complex. It's messy. It doesn't make sense sometimes. We look for meaning in created things instead of our Creator, God. And it seems like um, we're never satisfied. We're not content because we're always looking for something more. I know a lot of people who are on the outside, seem like they have everything, but inwardly they are in complete despair about life. And I'm telling you this, if your hope is based on your current circumstances, your whole life is going to be blown up when bad things happen. And that's what Ecclesiastes is preparing us. This leads me to my next point. Ecclesiastes reminds us of the brevity of life. Verse 9 says, History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and future generations. No one will remember what we're doing now. I told you, this is such an encouraging book. Um, The reality is, though, let me just say, do you really, do you remember, or do you know, if I asked you, could you name your great-great-grandparents? Could y'all name them? These are your, your ancestors, your, your great-grandparents. You've got four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-grandparents, right? Can you name all 16? Just a few generations back. And I don't mean this, I'm not not being morbid here, but we've already forgotten about people in our own family just a couple of generations back. That's kind of the point he's saying here, right? We think our life is so great and so awesome and everybody's going to remember us. Life is short. I heard Billy Graham say this years ago. He said, uh, and I found it in a book he wrote too, he said, a student asked me some time ago, what is the greatest surprise of your life? Here's what Billy Graham said. He said, the greatest surprise in my life is the brevity of life. I never dreamed that life was going to be so short. It seemed like only yesterday I was in school. And he said, he went on to, 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 to give a speech to students. And this was at a, a school when he said, time is the capital that we've been given to, by God to invest wisely. So the question is, where do we invest it? God calls us to invest our time capital, our very lives, primarily in people. You can't count your days, but you can make your days count. You can invest whatever time is yours for a high-yield return in the lives of people whom you introduce to Christ. That's one of your jobs. Right now, you can decide to invest your life in such a way that someday you will hear God say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in the Master's happiness and joy. I'm looking forward to that day. Death holds no terrors for me. I'm going to heaven and I know it, not because I've done anything good or preached to a large crowd or people or read the Bible. I'm going because of what Christ did on the cross and what God did in raising Him from the dead. And I have repented of my sins, which were many, and I received Him by faith. And that's what He told me to do. And He said, are you going to spend your life or are you going to invest it? Here in Ecclesiastes, it says, you know, every generation is looking for something new. We, we think that we found something new. We think we're different. But in all actuality, we're, we're facing the same problems that every generation has faced. Have you ever really stopped to think about how amazing it is that the Bible, written thousands of years ago, directly addresses problems we are facing today? Have you ever thought about that? How incredible that is? That's what Ecclesiastes is telling us. There's nothing new under the sun. The issues we face, now they may be packaged a little differently because of the modern world we live in, the technology we have. But they're the same problems that generation after generation after generation after generation generation has faced. And so, uh, when we read through this, that history repeats itself. I mean, we see this, huh? I've kind of got the opinion, I just leave stuff in my closet and eventually it's going to come back in style. Are you all like that too? Uh, it, it's pretty amazing, like the stuff we had in high school is all like cool right now. I wish I'd have kept some more of it, but I guess it wouldn't have fit anyway by now. Um, it, it's We think there's, we see these cycles in life. And so this passage just reminds us that In a world that seems so meaningless and empty, where do we look to find our satisfaction? Where do we look to find our meaning? We only have one way we can look, and and that's upward. And and we're going to learn that as we go through this book. So that kind of brings me uh, to my last point this morning, Ecclesiastes. It helps us understand that accepting death is the first step in learning to live. So, one of our life groups recently studied a book by author David Gibson, and it was called Living Life Backwards, how Ecclesiastes teaches us to live in light of the end. Uh, the book, the introduction of the book says, keeping the end in mind shapes how we live our lives in the here and now. Living life backward means taking the one thing in our life that is certain, death, and letting that inform our journey before we get there. And so... Uh, here's a longer quote from that book. It said, It may not make perfect sense to us yet, but he is carefully laying the foundations for the main argument of Ecclesiastes. Only preparing to die will teach us how to live. And part of that is establishing the the argument, the very simple point of, of verses 1 through 11 that we've read today, that under the sun it is unavoidably true that we live in a world where we will soon be dead. The preacher wants us to, to let the reality of our death sink, in, sink into our bones and lodge itself deep in our hearts. But that's not because he's writing a book about what it means to live. He wants, the consequences, uh, uh, he, he wants the consequences of our fast approaching disappearance from the earth to work their way out into the realities of the way we see the world and the way we view ourselves within that world. The single question that animates him is this. If we won't live forever, or even long enough to make a lasting difference in the world, how then should we live? And it takes the whole book of Ecclesiastes to answer that question. And so he makes his, his case bit by bit like an artist painting on a canvas. And this first passage that we've read today sketches out this very basic point, accepting death. Is the first step in learning to live. Wise, peop- wise people simply accept that they are going to die. Now, again, I, I, I know, like, when we tackle a book like this, and you come to, to church to hear, you know, four ways to live a happy and blessed life, and I'm saying here, you've got to accept that you're going to die one day. But that's the reality. And if we don't really understand that, Then our life is going to be about ourselves. It's going to be about how much stuff we can accumulate, how much fun we can have. It's going to be about us. And we're going to be, as soon as we're gone, we're going to be forgotten. If you want your life to matter, then you live for a higher calling, you live for a higher purpose. Matthew 6 says this: it says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And so this must be either true or false. And there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I'd better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. And so while the truth is we're going to die one day, I mean, death is certain unless Jesus comes back, right? We're going to die. The truth is we live forever. There is an eternity at stake. And are we preparing to live our lives in eternity? Because you, the, the reality, there is heaven and there is hell, and, and our choices we make here on this brief life we live will determine where we spend eternity. And, and so that's not morbid to think about. In fact, it, it, it's, it's the most important thing we can understand. It's the most important. We've got to make certain that if life is brief, that we're going to be with God forever. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. That He has made a way for us to be with God for all of eternity. And so that's why Jesus came. That's why He came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. That's why He went to the cross on our behalf. As we keep going in Ecclesiastes, I'll jump ahead a little bit. We'll talk about this verse later too. But in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He has planted eternity in your heart. Every one of us, we have this longing for something we cannot see or understand. We, it, we know that there is an eternity there. And that's why we ask these tough questions. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose? Does God exist? Well, We're, we're longing, and we see that not just in the USA. We see that across every culture. There's a longing for the divine because God has planted in the human heart this understanding of eternity. And so, God, if God made you, right, then He is the best one uh, to understand you. And His plan is the best plan for us. And so His purposes are higher. Even though life may be messy, we have to learn to trust Him. Uh, the Westminster Catechism says the very first one says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our chief goal is to to glorify God. That's what our life is about. Are we glorifying God? And then we can enjoy Him forever. And so, why are you here? What's your purpose? Are you wrestling with these questions in life? I want to close with John 14. Very familiar passage. I want you to to think about this as as, as we wrap up. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, no, we don't know the way, Thomas said. We don't have any idea where you're going. So, how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I and the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and so while ecclesiastes gives us this critic wrestling with the tough questions of life thankfully jesus came and answered those questions definitively for us here is the way to heaven Here is the way to find meaning and purpose. Here is why you exist. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And how do you do it? By making Jesus the Lord of your life. By trusting in the gospel message that we are sinners. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus... He's the one that forgives us of our, all, all sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He uh, justifies us before God. He brings us into God's family so we can be with God forever. So we can live the rest of our life remaining on earth, making a kingdom impact for the gospel. And so that's my question for you today. Where are you at on, on the spectrum? Are you, are, are you wrestling with these questions Uh, or do you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life that's the most important thing we can do under the sun is to make sure to nail that down that Jesus is our Lord and so with that I'm going to pray and ask the praise to come back up let's pray heavenly father today as we undertake this complex book may we truly just wrestle with its words and wrestle with our life and And ask the hard questions instead of just going through the same routine day after day. Why are we here? What is our purpose? How can we glorify you and just day by day, moment by moment, uh, choice by choice. How can we honor you through what we do? It starts, Lord, with Jesus being the Lord of our life, being our master, being our ruler. And so my prayer right now is for everyone here in this room, everyone listening online, that they would know without a doubt that You have gone to prepare a place for us. That You are coming back again so that we can be with You forever. And the way that we can know You is You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, would today, right now, be your opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you just acknowledge him the the word says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved and so that's our prayer this morning for each and every person that we would be confessing with our mouth Jesus is the Lord I I believe I trust him I know it and I'm going to live for him heavenly father we thank you for your word we're thankful that we can ask tough questions we're thankful that we can wrestle with these questions in life and 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 that when we seek you we will find you and so as we close today heavenly father we just thank you for jesus we thank you for your word and we're just thankful that even when things don't turn out like we expect we can still trust you it's in jesus name i pray amen